Well, welcome to Alger Assembly of God. Welcome back to the study in the series entitled Relationship Goals. We're talking about relationships all month long, and we gave you a little bit of a hint last week. Today, it's an even bigger hint. Uh, if you're live with us, then tomorrow is Valentine's Day. If you're watching or listening online, you'll probably be watching or listening after the fact. But it's Valentine's Day, and so a lot of uh, things about love and relationships take place here in February, but we're looking at a variety of relationships. Last week, we began with the most important relationship, and that was with God. The challenge and the goal was you and I are to connect to God. He loves you and I like crazy. He wants to have a relationship with us, and that's the first and number one goal in our life. But how many of you know that there are more people in this world than just you and God. You're probably aware of that, right? And out of all of these other people, how many of you are aware that there are some that maybe aren't always the easiest to get along with? You don't have to amen too loud on that one. But there's, there's a lot of challenging people. Maybe even within your own family, perhaps, you have large family get-togethers, and, and chances are there's at least one or more uh, that makes it kind of interesting for the whole family to get together. Or maybe it's a, a classmate, whether you're in middle school or high school or college. Uh, there's, there's a student or a teacher or someone in the faculty and administration, and it's just kind of challenging to connect and to get along with them. Or maybe some of the co-workers. Maybe it's individuals that you're working with or some of the bosses that you're working for or some of the people that you are overseeing and, in a sense, reporting to you. I mean, there's all different dynamics of people that you and I deal with. And then how about neighbors? Depending on who you live next to or across the street from, who knows uh, what they do with their leaves or their trash or their kids or their pets. I mean... There's all kinds of dynamics when it comes to people, right? And so it's not just us with God, although our relationship with God is most important. It's our relationships with others. One person put it like this way. The more that I get to know people, the more I love my dog. I figured we'd get some amens on that one. Maybe it's a cat for you or a fish or a, a bird or something like that. But the more that sometimes we get to know people, the more we almost want to just go hang out with the dog who always wags his tail when we come home, no matter what's happened in our day. So it's the challenge. There are some difficult people out there. In fact, turn to the person next to you or in front of you or behind you, and with a smile on your face, you can say this, I know some difficult people. Go ahead. I know. I know some difficult people, right? So if you, if you know some difficult people as well, this is a message that's for you, it's for me, because you and I deal with people. Most importantly, we need to have a relationship with God, but it's a whole lot more than just God and us. We interact with a lot of people in our lives. So I want to invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Paul gives us a, a bunch of practical and relational insights. We're going to begin in verse 9. 
And depending on what the version or translation of the word of God uh, you might have, you might see a, a heading here when it comes to this portion of scripture. So some of them will say this, love in action or rules of the Christian life, or behave like a Christian. Uh, perhaps, uh, maybe we could put this title on it today, how to deal with difficult people, <laughs> or just how do you deal with people in general. So we're going to start in verse 9, go through verse 15 till we get to verse 16. That's going to get us a relationship goal for the day. And then we'll examine the last number of verses here in the scripture. So there's so many things packed in. We don't have time to, to get to every single one. But let's start by looking at Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. Paul writes, Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. I mean, if you stop right there, when you talk about connecting with other people, that's a big one. Don't just pretend. We can be pretty good at pretending. We can be good at acting. We can be good at, at, you know, interacting with people, making them think we like them, we love them, and they turn away, and mm, people are talking. He says, don't just pretend, but really love them. He says, hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Verse 10, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. That's a challenging one. Take delight in honoring each other. We love to be honored. In fact, we might look around and say, hey, please, please honor me. We're seeking for people to honor us. He's saying, take delight in honoring each other. Verse 11, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Verse 12, rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. Verse 13, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Okay, let's stop here. Some of you are hoping, oh, I hope he keeps going. Did you see what he wrote? Bless those who persecute you. Is that the first thing that comes to your mind? If someone persecutes you, you're thinking, hmm, how can I bless them? <laughs> what you're really thinking is, hmm, how can I bless them with my fist, right? I mean, our human reaction isn't necessarily to bless the people who persecute us. And then he goes a little further. He says, don't curse them. Pray that God blesses them. Oh. Is that what first comes to our mind when someone persecutes you is, oh, I just hope God blesses you. He's getting into some practical details because there are people who no doubt persecute people that get under your skin for various reasons and we, we encounter a lot of different kinds of people he's helping us with practical relational insights look at verse 15 be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep unfortunately if we're honest sometimes we get that backwards a little bit we'll be happy when certain people weep and we weep when certain people are happy. And I know that's never been you. Oh, you know some people who do, though, right? Yeah, we'll just nod your head as if we're talking about other people. 
You know, when someone you don't like, someone who persecutes, someone who's against you, and, and their life is just going well, it's kind of hard to be happy with them when they're happy because of how they've been treating you. He's saying rejoice. Be happy when people rejoice. Weep with those who weep. It's not just weep with family members who weep. Not just weep with the people that you love. Weep with those who weep. We often put some qualifiers in there. You know, if I like you, if I love you, if I'm related to you and things are going well, I'll, I'll pat you on the back and say, good job. Anybody else? <laughs> he or she doesn't deserve it. We'll put all these other qualifiers on about being happy when somebody else is happy. And then when, when somebody's weeping, when someone's going through a difficult situation, if we don't like the person, our response might be, they had it coming. Boy, it gets a little quiet. I think, I think Paul might have struck a nerve when, when he's writing about how do you deal with a whole variety of people. He's trying to give some great insights. So we come to verse 16. And the relationship goal for today is found right in verse 16. He says, live in harmony with each other. I mean, he's just given us a whole number of verses of how do you interact with all of these people that are around you. And in verse 16, he says, live in harmony with each other. So that's our relationship goal. Last week, the challenge and the goal was to connect to God. Our most important relationship is with him. But today, as we talk about everybody else, the relationship goal is to live in harmony. And we're going to continue from here, these last number of verses through the chapter, and look at some continued practical insights on how we can do just that. How do we live in harmony with those that we come in contact with? First of all, he challenges us to be humble. Verse 16, after he encourages us to live in harmony, he says, Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Don't think you know it all. You might know a lot. You might know a whole bunch of stuff, but he said, don't think that you know it all. Live in harmony and we do so through humility. Now, here the, the Greek term that they're using for humility literally means think the same things towards each other. A life of humility, I'm, I'm thinking the same thing one towards another. There's a number of scriptures, when you read through the Word of God, there's a number of scriptures and encouragement about how we are to humble ourselves before God, live in humility. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 and others says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the... Let's try that again. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the... Humble. Encouraging us to live in humility. Jesus told a, a story, a proverb, a, a parable about this. Luke chapter 18 Remember the story about the Pharisee and the tax collector, and they're both going and, and praying before the Lord kind of in the, in the house of God. The Pharisee is one of the religious leaders. The tax collector is, is kind of one of the despised groups of people. 
I mean, who loves people who comes and takes your money for taxes? By the way, taxes are coming up in a couple months. Yippee. All right? So tax collectors kind of despise, kind of the outcast. Pharisee, one of the religious leaders. And Jesus tells this story in Luke chapter 18. And the Pharisee in the house of God, he prays to God. And he basically prays, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people. You know, murderers and, and adulterers, all these other, and, and like this, this tax collector over here. God, I am so thankful I'm not one of them. This was an interesting story. Jesus is using the religious leader and using that person as the measure of pride. He's saying, I am so thankful I'm not like one of them. And that's his prayer to God. And a little bit later in the story, he then mentions about what the tax collector does. How does he approach God? The tax collector, he found it hard not even to look up, look towards God, or look towards heaven. But as he, as he simply bowed before the Lord, he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He came to God in that aspect, in that attitude of humility. Paul's writing in Romans 12, don't be proud, be humble, connect with everyone. In our humility, associate with everybody no matter who they are. New Living Translation says enjoy the company of ordinary people. Ordinary, not just in average, but, you know, who might you consider Ordinary. At church, at work, at school, and the family, we encounter a whole host of people. But check this out. Every single individual tends to look down on somebody else. It's almost universal fact. Now, as much as we want to say, oh, but, but not me. I love everybody. Chances are good, at least at one point of time in our lives, you've looked down, we've looked down at somebody else. Now, we can go through a whole host of reasons why some people might do that. Age, sex, race. A lot of different reasons, like in that, that prayer where he says, I'm thankful I'm not like those people. What are meant by those people? Sometimes it's brought up when it comes to race. Sometimes it's brought up when it comes to age or gender. Sometimes with age, oh, those, those young whippersnappers. I'm getting older, so. I'm not sure if I can use whippersnapper. Not. I might have to be a little bit older to use that. But, you know, when it comes to accepting and, and interacting with people, some people say, I don't really want to hang around with young people whatever age young people might be. Because those young people, and then fill in the blank. How they look, how they dress, what about their hair, what about this, what about that, music they listen to. I don't really want to connect with, I don't really want to hang out with young people. People who are younger than me. On the flip side, there are people who turn that right around and say, you know what, I don't really want to hang around with older people. Because they're older than me. And they don't look quite like me, and they don't this, and they don't that, and they don't understand people like me. 
Is Paul saying, just go and connect with only people who are exactly like you? No. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Every single person. Not based on age. Not based on sex. Not based on race. Not based on education. Not based on finances. Listen, with every single person, I would venture to say there's someone who has less than you. There's probably also someone who has more than you. But the mindset often is someone who has less than me is this, and someone who has more than me is this. And it's pretty easy to make a comment either way as to why I will or won't hang out with somebody who's got less or more. I mean, did you see how they were dressing? Did you see, what about this? What about that? And we start looking at the individuals that we connect with or that we are around, and we say, I don't really want to hang out with them quite as much because of this or because of that. And he's saying, be humble. God's not a respecter of persons. You and I are not to be a respecter of persons. There's a lot of different kinds of people. I mean, look around. Just smile and look around. There's people who are not quite like you, who don't handle things the exact same way, who don't exactly like the exact same things you do. I mean, I don't understand, but there's some people in here who like a certain team from a certain northerly capacity. I can't get that through my head. It's not my preference. I'm going to love no matter what. Now, what? I mean, it's year-long. We have some fun with that. But there are some people who legitimately will not interact with people based on their sports team affiliation. And there are people who legitimately say, well, this person, based on the city they live in, based on the school that they go to, I don't want to hang out with them because, you know, those people are. Man, I've heard it. I've heard it when ministered in Galleon, heard it when we ministered in Lima. I've heard it ministering here. Live in Ada, pastor in Alger, I've heard it all. Literally. So it's not just about where you live, not just about who you like as a sports team. He's saying be humble and connect with everyone. If you and I only are looking out for the people just like us, who live exactly where we live, who have the exact same amount of money we have, who have the exact this and the exact that, we're pretty much going to be liking and loving us. Because there's a whole host of differences when it comes to people, right? So right off the bat, after he says live in harmony, he says we are to be humble. Secondly, though, he challenges us to resist retaliation. Who is a good one. Resist retaliation. Verse 17, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. <laughs> Don't pay back evil with more evil. I mean, that's literally what many people think you're supposed to do is retaliate. Jesus gave us some rules for encouragement and interacting. You remember one that was termed the golden rule? 
Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Retaliation is not a part of that. I, I came across someone, he, he added a couple of other rules. So Jesus had the golden rule. This individual came up with the yellow rule. I thought it was interesting. He says, do unto others exactly what they do unto you. The yellow rule, because you're kind of a coward if you live that way. Yellow belly coward. On the one hand, if someone treats you with kindness and you do exactly what they've done to you, I mean, that seems pretty good. But what if they insult you or hurt you or mistreat you and you give them back exactly what they gave you? Kind of the yellow rule. You were mean to me, so I'm going to give it right back. It kind of reminds me of the story about Jack and his little sister. Jack's mother ran into the bedroom and she heard him screaming and she found his little two-year-old sister pulling and yanking on his hair. So Jack, who's maybe eight, nine, ten years old, was screaming. She released the girl's grip on his hair and, and patted Jack on the back and comforted him by saying, well, she didn't mean it. She didn't know that that hurts. Well, mom was barely out of the room and the girl started screaming. She rushed back into the bedroom, asked Jack what happened, and Jack explained, well, she knows now. I mean, that's just like you and I. We're not talking just about kids, right? His hair was pulled, so he went and pulled her hair and made sure she knew what it felt like. You and I do the same thing. Someone says or does wrong, and what's our first thought? How am I, I going to retaliate? How am I going to get him? I mean, how good am I going to get him? So that's, that's the yellow rule. Do exactly what they do unto you. And he has another one he called the gray rule. Do unto others before they do unto you. He calls it gray because it's not necessarily black or white. It's kind of in the middle of the gray. If you're doing good to someone before they do it unto you, that seems pretty good. But if you're doing bad or evil towards somebody to get a jump start before they do it unto you, that's, that's not good. Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Listen, we've got, we've got natural instincts to protect ourselves. I mean, if, if someone comes up to you and they're about ready to punch you in the face, you're going to have some kind of a response. Either, you know, catch it, duck, get out of the way, get yours ready. I mean, we, we've got some kind of a reaction. You slip on ice, natural reaction. You're going to put your hand down or put your hand down or hopefully you haven't flipped upside down. There's natural reactions physically, but we've got a pretty natural emotional reaction, right? When someone does something or says something to you emotionally, mm, we, we want to let them have it. Is that true? It, doesn't that tend to be what we think about? It's that natural instinct. But the encouragement here is to resist that. He says, don't pay back evil with more evil. Why? Well, when we retaliate, retaliation is usually excessive, and it's not equal. 
I mean, if somebody says something to you verbally with some cuts or something that digs at you, do you respond in a measured and appropriate response? I'm going to only say something that hurts them just about as much as they hurt me. Does that enter our mind at all? No. You and I see red, we, we get mad, and we say or do something that hopefully is a little worse than what happened to us. Retaliation is usually excessive. It's usually not equal. We, we don't just rise to their level of hurt and stop. We typically go above and beyond. See, choosing to retaliate often causes conflicts to escalate. Ever been there before? I venture to say at some point in time you have. Somebody said something to you. Maybe it was offhand. Maybe it was kind of casual. They meant it as a joke, but you didn't really think it was that funny. So you responded with a little bit of a joke back, except yours was maybe a little bit more of a dig, and, man, you, you were getting them. Well, then they didn't like that because they, they thought they were just teasing around with you. So then they lob another one back. And pretty soon, you're just raising it higher, 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 higher. When you and I retaliate, it often causes conflict to escalate. And also understand, retaliation always hurts our witness. I mean, we are to be a child of God, a Christian, a believer who's honoring and serving and obeying God. And when we retaliate with a fist, or we retaliate with some words, or we retaliate in one of these other for, uh, forms or, or causes, guess what someone else is thinking? <laughs> yeah, there goes that Christian. Look at that Christian. Uh, listen to the words of that Christian. Look at the actions of that Christian. It hurts our witness. So Paul's encouraging us, don't pay back evil with more evil. He's saying, you want to learn to get along with the people that are around you? Be humble. Resist retaliation. Thirdly, he challenges us to live peaceful. It's a challenge. Verse 18, he says, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Do all that you can. My favorite translation of this verse is from the NIV. I just read it in the New Living. Let me read it to you in the NIV. You might have that version with you. But it's translated this way. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It's an interesting way because it tends to have a lot of qualifiers and loopholes. But the encouragement is, listen, it might not be possible. But he says, as much as you can, as much as it depends on you, do your very best to live at peace with others. Now, we smiled, and, and a lot of people were, were looking at the other one and saying, I know some difficult people, and, and we can have some fun with that. But I would venture to say, there's some of those challenging and difficult to get along with people that you hear this verse, and you say, how in the world can I do that? Do all that I can to live at peace with, with that person? 
do you know what they've done? Do you know what they've said? Do you, do you know how we normally interact? But the question is, have you and I extended an offer of peace? If we do, one of two things happen. We extend an offer of peace and they accept it. We extend an offer of peace, they reject it. But the goal is to do as much as we can to live at peace with others. Now, some questions. When, when you and I, you know, we think about this idea, interacting and, and living at peace, extending peace with other people, including some that we're just not sure how we can get along with, let me ask, have we accepted our part in the breakdown of peace? Have you accepted your part? I would venture to say in any disagreement, in any conflict, there's probably at least a little part that we have to play. Most of us, we say, no, 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 it's all her fault. It's all his fault. I'm perfect. I'm blameless, right? Uh, you know, maybe, maybe you're the one who always blamed it on your brother or your sister or somebody else. Many times, that's us. We say, nope, nope, not me. But have you ever thought, is there a part that I've played in this? Something I've contributed towards this process? I've got to own that. And then, are we willing to right the wrongs that maybe we have done? Are you willing to ask forgiveness? Are you willing to make things right? You say, well, but they did more. Are you willing to start that opportunity of peace by trying to make things right? Have you forgiven wrongs that have been done to you? Are we doing our part to live at and to be at peace? Now, understand, you and I can't force people. We love to. I mean, think about the many conflicts in our world. Even outside of the United States, you look around our, our world and, and the many conflicts. You wish for world peace. What's the ever popular question? What do you wish for? I wish for world peace. Wouldn't it be great just to kind of snap your fingers and have world peace? In some cases, peace might be rejected. Sometimes peace is offered. Sometimes peace is, you know, it's tried to be lived out and it's not always accepted. Same thing with you and I. We can't always force somebody to be at peace, but we can do our part to extend peace, maybe to ask forgiveness if there are some things that we have done. My response is my responsibility, and the person that I can change is me. So he says, live peaceful. Fourthly, verse 19, he encourages us to relinquish revenge. Ties in a lot with number two. He says, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. In other words, he's saying, get out of God's way. God is the one who said he will do the paying of back. But human nature is what? <laughs> I'm going to get even. I'm going to get my revenge. I'm going to get payback. Not just retaliation, but it's, it's an attitude, a little bit deeper-seated attitude of revenge. 
encouragement here. That's not how we are to approach life is just the vigilante out trying to right all the wrongs. He's saying, don't take revenge. Leave that up to God. Now, leave that up to God. Many times we say, I just want to give God a big old hand, big old helping hand. You ever said that or thought that? Okay, God, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you with this revenge on so-and-so. Let me just give you a little head start here. Oftentimes, when we try to do it ourselves, when we try to take revenge, we try to make things right. You ever made things worse? Many times. We say, I'm going to right the wrong, and, and our anger and indignation gets in the way, and we make things worse. Or, or maybe the reason we've jumped in is because we're looking and we're saying, God, you're not doing anything. I mean, his life, her life looks perfect over there. Come on, God, it's time for some revenge, right? Why am I suffering? Why am I struggling? I'm trying to honor you and serve you. Here's someone who's done me wrong and, oh, I want to get them. And their life's going great. That's, that's why a lot of times we try to jump in because we say nothing's happened yet. We're to leave that part up to the Lord. Throughout scriptures is the encouragement of letting God fight your battles. We want, we want to jump in. We want to handle everything ourselves. Allow God to be the one to oversee our situations. Now, Understand this, when you let God oversee the situation, you let God handle that, here's what can happen. Sometimes justice comes a little slower than you and I might like. Oh, we want him or her, we want that situation resolved, we want them hammered. Sometimes justice comes a little slower. Sometimes things being made right tends to take a, long more, uh, a lot more time. Or perhaps this, when you let go and you let God oversee the situation, sometimes what happens is God shows more grace than you or I would have. Your thought is, all right, God, ooh, get him good. Sometimes God extends some grace and some favor to that situation. Maybe you've experienced God's grace or God's favor towards you. Maybe you've Receive grace and favor in other aspects of life at school or at the job. or Instead of getting a speeding ticket, you got a warning. Grace or favor. Sometimes when we let God oversee some things, he might be more gracious towards an individual than maybe what you had hoped or what I had hoped. But he's saying, leave the revenge factor. Leave the getting even. Don't take care of that yourself. Surrender that to the Lord. Be humble. Resist retaliation. Live peaceful. Relinquish revenge. Finally, last couple of verses, the overall encouragement is to give good. Give out the good. Verse 20, he starts with the word instead. Instead of all these other things that we've looked at, instead of all of these other thoughts and principles and interactions of what we want to do, he says instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. 
Now, to quote here from Proverbs chapter 25, and it definitely is a part of Scripture where there's a, a lot of difference of opinion from commentators on what exactly is this of heaping burning coals on somebody's head? Some think it's an idea borrowed from an, an Egyptian custom where people would heap coals on the, the top of their heads as repentance. Others think it refers to God's judgment being heaped upon your enemy. In this view, every time your enemy greets your act of kindness with harshness or cruelty, he simply adds more and more judgment on his account. I'm not sure that that's the most accurate one there, because it would, it would seem to think that we would then have satisfaction of more and more evil being heaped on somebody else. Another view here sees coals as either being some warm feelings of gratitude or feelings of shame. In this view, they would say that every time that you respond to the enemy's harshness or cruelty with kindness, you erode and eliminate some of that hostility. The New Living Bible paraphrase kind of has that thought in mind. It puts it this way, instead, do what the scriptures say. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And they will be ashamed of what they have done to you. In a sense, the goal here is transforming the relationship. They're doing bad to you, but instead you give good. You do good to them. The ever popular phrase, we've heard it. You might have said it. might have tried to live it out a little bit. Kill them with kindness. Some people say, let me, let me just stick to the first couple words. Kill them. God, I want to kill them. I want to get them. Oh, they make me so mad. Kill them with kindness. Instead of responding to what they've done and, and making it worse and elevating things, do the unexpected. He's saying if your enemies are hungry, don't laugh at them. Give them something to eat because they're hungry. If they're thirsty, don't point at them and laugh and say, ha, look at this ice-cold Dr. Pepper I've got, but give them something to drink. Do the unexpected. Bless them. Give good. The goal is not to burn people, but to bless people. I like this quote by John Wesley. He says, Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Do good. Paul encourages us to give good. Don't let evil conquer you. Don't get so irritated, frustrated, mad, and angry that, that evil overcomes you and conquers you. He says, conquer evil by doing good, giving good by blessing others. It's not necessarily our first instinct. But Paul's saying, here are some incredible, practical, relational insights on how to interact with others, specifically those that are challenged to connect with. The people that you know, the people that you love, the, the people you get along with, great. These principles really don't go into practice because you get along so well. How do you live in harmony? 
Paul's, he's given us a, a whole host of challenges. Be humble. Resist retaliation. Live peaceful. Relinquish revenge. And then give good. These aren't things we just achieve on our own and we say, I'm going to do it on my own. We can't just walk and, and leave, live these out in our relationships and our own strength and our own power. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's through God's presence, God's power at work in us. Because our initial thought, our initial flash is many times to respond and, and escalate the situation. That's, that's our human nature. We need the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit to help us live in harmony and following through some of these things. As a Christian, the power of God, the Holy Spirit at work, living in your life, helps us to do that. If you're not a Christian, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you don't have a relationship like what we talked about last week to connect with God, you can do so today. He'll strengthen, he'll empower you, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, help you to respond to these challenging relationships and situations. 